Hello, everyone. It's my great honor and pleasure to host Al Amin in today's uh, podcast uh, from Research to Reality. Hello, Al. Hey, how are you doing, Dan? Al, I've known you for many years, uh, and, and we crossed paths so many times. So I know a little bit about your background, but I'd really prefer if you can explain what is your role in Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Uh, so I'm a, a strategist. Uh, I'm part of the uh, worldwide uh, pre-sales organization, and I'm uh, responsible for the technical go-to-market for technologies and solutions. And within HPE, we have uh, multiple business units, but I'm very much aligned with the compute and the HPC and mission-critical uh, systems business units. And how did you end up in that role? Is that what you envisioned when you were starting your career? No, it's a long journey, Dan. So I'm a 25-year-old veteran now at uh, HP, HPE, and I actually came through an acquisition called Convex Computers. And oh. Convex was uh, in the high-performance computing business. Uh, some of you probably know a uh, technology called Superdomes. Uh, that's where some of the initial design work of Superdomes came from. Um, but um, my educational background, um, I, started, I came to the United States uh, uh, back in uh, 1981 as an undergraduate at the University of Texas at Austin. In, uh, and I was focused in, uh, in the area of um, electrical engineering with a specialization in electronics. But I had a good exposure at that time in, uh, in uh, working with lasers in the, in the biomedical area. And then I went and joined uh, uh, for my master's. I went to Ohio State University where uh, uh, I started focusing more on computer architecture and applying uh, uh, you know, some of the high performance computing type of um, uh, systems uh, to applications. So I was, uh, I was responsible for uh, working on uh, solving some very large linear systems of equations on uh, supercomputers, distributed memory supercomputers. And after that, I joined a company called uh, UES, uh, where I was responsible for doing all the parallel processing work for a computational fluid dynamics application called Procast, uh, which is now owned by a French company called ESA. And I did all the parallelization work, as I said. And so uh, right after that, I joined uh, uh, Convex Computers or in um, you know, mainstream uh, high-performance computing, and then HPE bought uh, uh, clearly um, uh, Convex Systems. But I've uh, had a very nice, rich uh, uh, background here as well in, uh, in uh, HP and HPC. Started off uh, in the field. Um, I was a pre-sales manager in the high-performance computing area. And I was representing everything end to end, right? From, from the uh, visualization to compute, to networking, as well as storage. After that, I transitioned into enterprise systems uh, where uh, I was uh, doing something similar end to end solution offering for ERP type of applications for mission critical applications in a very highly available disaster tolerant type of environments. And then in 2006, I had the opportunity to lead uh, the go-to-market activities for a very su successful product that HP launched at the time called Blade System. And I was doing all the go-to-market, uh, everything from uh, working with ISVs, making sure the ISVs were qualified on our systems, uh, the, the um, 
you know, compensation models, the, the training and uh, all those aspects of the life cycle from a go-to-market perspective for any product. And then of recent, uh, I have uh, been part of this worldwide pre-sales organization doing all the go-to-market activities where we align the best in breed uh, engineers, both from the field as well as uh, from, uh, from the business units to collaborate together to bring technologies to the market based on customer needs and based on the trends in the industry. So, so you are driving this worldwide ambassadors program. Tell us a little bit more in detail about it. How does it work? Why is it so important for Hewlett Packard Enterprise? Because whenever I have any idea, people tell me, yeah, it's a great idea. Go talk to Alamin. You know, he'll tell you whether it's the, the, the right thing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, think about uh, the ambassadors. The ambassadors are basically the hence selected, you know, perhaps 10% or less of our technical pre-sales people. And uh, these are people out in the field. So they're absolutely engaged with customers. They have a, a good idea of the trends in the industry. They have also a very good idea on customer requirements. And then we collaborate with the business units, right? So we want to make sure that as we bring technologies and products and solutions out to the market, it is really based on customer needs and where the industry and the market is going. And so the ambassadors, uh, they help shape uh, the technology that we bring into the marketplace. Uh, they also help uh, craft of a message in terms of solutions. We, we also work very closely with the business units to make sure that all these different parts of uh, technologies are also integrated as we bring them out to the marketplace. Uh, they're evangelists, they're uh, speakers at conferences and, um, and uh, other events. And I think uh, even more importantly, um, you know, we are a community, right? We are a, a small community, like-minded people, and especially in areas like uh, artificial intelligence, it's, it's a very new area. And so uh, we learn from each other. So uh, there's an aspect of, of a community coming together from a worldwide point of view and understanding what the needs are from different geographies, different countries. And, and learning from each other. So those are the four things that we do from, from an ambassador program point of view. You primarily um, work with businesses, but on occasions, like once in the past, you also work with labs. You were also ambassador for the machine project. That was about six, seven years ago. How was that one different than your typical ambassador activities? Yeah, I tell you what, uh, that was one of my highlights uh, uh, working at HP and uh, and what was really nice is uh, uh, when, when we started working with labs and we also had a few people from the field, uh, we call them the machine evangelists, right? Uh, but um, we knew um, at that time, six years ago, as you said, uh, that uh, we were going to be hitting the, what we call the end of Moore's law, right? So we had to change the way the computer systems or the architecture uh, was, uh, was, uh, was, you know, brought into the marketplace from a CPU-centric to memory-driven computing. And I'll tell you what, I think HP and H, at the time, or HPE, we were truly thought leaders, right? And, and uh, yes, there were ideas out there in the marketplace about, you know, memory-driven computing, but nobody had put the money uh, to prove this technology out and we in HPHPE, we did that, right, with the machine prototype system, as you, as you know. And um, not only did we design a system 
that proved this architecture, but we also worked on applications and we were able to see significant speedups, 10x for Spark, 100x for graph analytics, 1,000 plus x for applications like Monte Carlo uh, applications. And, and the machine was not just uh, uh, the hardware infrastructure, but we also built in the trust and security, right? Uh, and so some of that technology now we are leveraging in our own products, right? Uh, if you think about uh, ILO and we talk about the silicon root of trust and building some of the most trusted and secure systems in the industry that came as part of the machine project. I was really excited about some of the work that we were doing at the edge with, uh, at that time we called it distributed mesh computing. And uh, now we are bringing some of that technology into AI with what is called swarm learning. I'm glad you brought up AI. Um, a lot of customers are asking about AI, but while you're talking to them, what are the, their specific needs? What are the areas where they think they can use AI most? So, you know, we are seeing uh, AI adoption across uh, the whole spectrum. And we are seeing um, customers uh, who are approaching AI from, uh, from two different angles, right? So there are customers who are approaching AI primarily coming from the big data world uh, and uh, moving to AI so that they can come up with um, uh, the analytics and, and uh, advanced analytics and using AI techniques. And now we are also starting to see customers who are traditionally high performance computing uh, customers who are also starting to uh, adopt uh, AI. So um, uh, I'm seeing across the board in, uh, in the industry where AI is adopted very broadly. And, uh, and you know, it is one of the hottest areas right now in the industry. And it, it is all about, uh, you know, bringing products out in the market. Time to market is very important. And so how do I bring uh, products out faster you know, rather than using traditional high-performance computing methods where to run some of the simulations like the Procast application I was talking about, right? If I'm trying to cast an engine block, at that time it would take me at least a month for a very small, you know, um, uh, model to, to, to get the analysis done. So, so even today with all the computation power we have, you know, it still takes time to run this, this simulations and it can take days or weeks. So now they're starting to adapt AI techniques where, you know, we can do the simulations, use AI, but then come up with uh, and, and predict things faster, right? So uh, AI is used across the industry in the healthcare for, um, you know, in the, uh, in the manufacturing area, uh, in the telco, et cetera, right? So uh, we're seeing uh, the adoption uh, uh, very broad. And, and by the way, customers are at different stages depending on the size uh, they are in. So, for example, small and medium customers may not have the necessary, uh, you know, data scientists uh, within the organization. So they want turnkey solutions. Some customers in the they are they are uh, they have gone through a POC and they like it, but they want to scale now. Uh, you know, others do have data scientists, but they want to know, hey, how am I going to optimize my optimize my models now? And then at the very high end, right, the, um, the big national labs, et cetera, they have all the skills, and, but they do want the platform. They want a platform that can scale. So, um, so yeah, we have different customers at different stages, but AI is, is adopted uh, very broadly across uh, all industries and, and all market segments. 
with this variety of customer needs and, and different uses, where do you think there is most need for technology itself to evolve to catch up with these needs? Is it hardware, software, uh, applications? Is it verticals? It is a, it is a combination of everything, Dan. Uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> what, uh, what I'm seeing is, um, uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, so, so you can think about uh, the HPE strategy, which is um, uh, because of the digital transformation, right? We want to bring uh, uh, solutions uh, to, to the customers from the edge all the way to the cloud. And, um, and uh, you know, what you're seeing is that uh, from an AI world, uh, you know, we, we certainly generate data at the edge, but it's also taking a lot of time now to move all this data into, into the cloud. So we're seeing that the customers certainly would like to, for faster analysis and rather than moving all this data around, can we now also uh, bring the computation uh, not just for inference, but also for training point of view at the edge. Um, you know, uh, customers also looking for the pipeline. How do I move this data around very easily? And this is where HP has uh, certain, uh, uh, you know, uh, products to help with, the, with the, the, the data moment from a pipeline point of view. Uh, how do I create these models? You know, we have uh, what we call MLOps. Um, so, so we have not only the platform from edge to the cloud, but then we have the, the software layer on top of it for all the orchestration purposes. Mm -hmm. And then we work with our, uh, with our uh, uh, services organization where we come up with solutions for the different uh, vertical markets. And then everybody's now looking for a consumption-based model, right? So, so within HPE, we have uh, what is called GreenLake, which is a consumption-based uh, model. And so we're even bringing in uh, services like, um, you know, as a service offerings such as MLOps, machine learning operations as a service as well. So from your perspective, there's business opportunity both at the, at the edge and at the server. That is correct. Yes, we do have uh, the opportunity of, uh, of, uh, for AI both at the edge uh, as well as uh, at, the, um, at the cloud level. And the cloud could be anything, right? It could be public cloud, it could be a private cloud, it could be a hybrid cloud as well. And from the business perspective, uh, where do you think uh, there's a, a, a most opportunity? Is that uh, at the edge of the cloud? I think, uh, um, you know, right now it is certainly at both, right? Because, um, you know, the data is uh, generated at the edge. The inference or the predictions are also done at the edge. Uh, we certainly want to have the training, um, you know, all done right now at usually in the cloud, right? So, but uh, as I was mentioning earlier, we are seeing more and more opportunity of even the training moving towards the edge, right? So the, the opportunity is both right now at the edge uh, as well as uh, at the cloud level. And do, do you think that there's any killer application in the AI that will take everything um, or you think that it will just be deployed throughout all areas? I mean, uh, you know, when, uh, when I look at uh, from, uh, from uh, 
an application point of view, um, you know, we're seeing um, AI, uh, you know, being adopted across the board, right? As I was saying, um, uh, in, in in the area of manufacturing, for example, right? So anything that is anything that has to do with uh, predictive maintenance, uh, you know, uh, we within HPE we manufacture uh, about four servers um, every minute. And we are starting to use AI techniques, even in our factories, to make sure that the servers we ship to customers are built to the specification uh, of the systems they order. When you look at the memory dims, for example, it's very hard to determine, you know, different types of dims. But uh, AI can can do a job much better than uh, we can. So we are certainly seeing um, in, in in all these application areas such as predictive maintenance. You know, you look at the automotive industry, they are totally transforming. Uh, they are no longer just building cars, but it is an experience. They're moving to electric, they're moving to autonomous. Uh, you know, we, we have a, a great partnership now with Volvo where uh, uh, we are working with them, uh, um, you know, and, and providing not only the infrastructure, but everything is 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 as a service step of a model. Um, you know, we are... Uh, Clearly, in the financial industry, we're seeing things like fraud detection, et cetera, where they're starting to use AI techniques. They're using uh, natural language processing, for example, for call centers uh, in the life sciences and healthcare area, uh, disease, uh, you, know, um, you know, prediction, uh, AI has been used there. So every vertical that I see, there is, you know, you can say that there's a killer application in all of those areas, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you one area that I'm uh, really excited again, since I come from that HPC background is um, how HPC, AI, and even IoT are converging together for what we call now, uh, you know, the uh, digital twin. You might have heard of that term. This is a new trend uh, that's, that's taking place. Uh, I see more and more of that happening from my conversations with customers uh, around uh, the digital twin. And, and it's all around that, uh, you know, uh, the, the life cycle of the product, right? Uh, everything from, uh, from predictive maintenance to, um, you know, fairly diagnostics to adapting your assets to real working conditions, right? So what's a useful remaining life, uh, et cetera. So that's, uh, that to me is, is really exciting, uh, you know, where not only are we bringing in HPC and AI, but now we're also bringing the IoT aspects into the picture. You provided a number of examples of more broader deployment of AI, including autonomous. Mm -hmm. And that opens up opportunity for ethical uh, concerns, uh, decisions, et cetera. Uh, do you see our customers being worried about uh, ethical aspects of AI? Uh, yes, yes, uh, Dan, absolutely, right? Uh, and um, we all know, right, uh, AI, it's, it's all based on the data. And uh, depending on the data, it can also create different types of biases. So we have to be very careful about the ethics of AI. Uh, we are also seeing uh, certain nations, uh, for example, where uh, they can misuse AI. We are also seeing, um, you know, some very large companies who have a lot of data and, uh, and um, it's, you know, but the, the whole area around ethics in AI is much bigger, right? Uh, 
this is something that has to be tackled by our governments and, and some of the bigger uh, big, uh, industry, right? So I absolutely see that uh, uh, this is a concern, but uh, I'm also happy to see that uh, there are different groups around the world where they're uh, you know, addressing this head on uh, from an ethics point of view. At HP, we like to think of us as uh, being a force for good. Uh, do you have any specific examples how we demonstrate this quality? Yeah, you know, uh, that's one thing I, you know, when I joined HP 25 years ago, uh, you know, our founders and, and even now uh, with our current CEO, with uh, Antonio Neri, right, we are uh, all about uh, philanthropy, you know, we, we do our best in terms of supporting uh, uh, and, and, and providing, uh, you know, aid and relief, right, so recently, for example, we had uh, the, the you know, disaster in, in Texas. And so um, the company suddenly matched, uh, you know, relief funds, right, uh, within HPE. Uh, we are suddenly focused on, um, um, you know, uh, around uh, things like bringing in paternity leave. And, you know, so just, just we're doing some great things, I believe. Uh, when I talk to my uh, peers in other industries, I think we are absolutely a leader uh, when it comes to um, uh, doing good, right? Uh, I mean, we, the company has uh, a program where we can even go and volunteer over time for charitable uh, causes. So, so there are a lot of things that the company is doing that are, that are good, uh, you know, for, uh, uh, for the community. One other aspect thereof is uh, our focus on inclusion and diversity. Mm -hmm. Do you have some examples and how, how do you experience inclusion and diversity? No, I mean, I'll tell you, uh, we have a zero tolerance for, uh, for in the company where uh, we don't, uh, you know, if, if, if there are any issues from uh, a diversity or, uh, you know, or, or if anything is said wrongly about uh, uh, you know, a person, right, uh, because of their, their background. But um, I'll tell you the, um, you know, the, uh, the best example I can talk about when it comes to inclusion and, and, diverse, and diversity is the ambassador program that I'm running, right? Uh, it is a worldwide program. It's men and women across the whole world. You know, uh, yes, we do have a common um, interest in the community, but uh, we respect each other, right? Uh, nobody, you know, when we get together on a monthly basis or on, on or, you know, or on an annual basis, we come together as one. And uh, that's, it's, it's a great example of, uh, of uh, inclusion and, and diversity. Now within HPE, yes, we have a, a lot of different programs, uh, you know, for, um, uh, for, for inclusion and diversity. But uh, to me, the best program is the program I run, which is the, the ambassador program where we come from a world perspective, we all respect each other, diverse sets of views, et cetera. And um, it is a family, you know, when we, when we all get together. So that's, that's a great example of diversity. Tell us a little bit about yourself again, uh, especially in your downtimes. Uh, I have seen you uh, always traveling. Um, last year, you were probably always on the phone, uh, talking to the customers. How do you relax? What do you do for your downtime? Yeah, I'm a I'm a outdoors person, so uh, 
I absolutely enjoy during my, um, uh, you know, to run outdoors. Uh, that's uh, one of the activities I like to do. I, I enjoy uh, nature. Uh, I was born in Kenya, East Africa. I moved to the United States uh, when I was 18 years old. And one of the things I absolutely enjoy is nature. Uh, I've had uh, various uh, different trips, uh, even recently to, uh, to Africa, to places like Rwanda, where I've had the opportunity to spend some time with the mountain gorillas, uh, only 800 left in this world. Uh, I was at, uh, in, uh, in Kenya uh, at the Masai Mara Game Reserve to observe the only wildebeest migration or any kind of mass migration that takes place in the world. So I'm, um, I'm a, absolutely an outdoors person. Uh, in addition to wildlife, I also enjoy uh, the bird life, the, the marine life, uh, and, and just being uh, out there climbing mountains uh, or, uh, uh, you know, or, or just, just going and uh, spending time in different countries. Uh, and then interacting with uh, different cultures and sampling different foods, uh, etc. Really nice. Uh, you need to take me to Africa one day. Absolutely. I'd love to go with you. Yeah, for sure, Dan. Uh, it'd be a pleasure of mine to take you there. Uh, have a, you know, it's it's a it's a beautiful beautiful continent. Thank you all. Uh, some uh, great lessons learned. Um, I personally learned a lot. Uh, I hope others have. Uh, we need to sit and talk about ambassadors. I think that concept is amazing. It could be replicated in, in many uh, other aspects of our daily life. Thanks, Al. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity.